Blog Talk Radio. Absolute pleasure to be back here talking to all of you tonight. 
Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit of wrestling for the first half hour here because a lot's going down in the professional wrestling world fandom and out there. Also, in the next half hour, the other sexy witches will be joining us for a quick Oscar preview and our predictions for what is about to come this uh, weekend. And it'll lead into our interview with Dion Bahar, who is in Nightmare Alley, one of the Best Picture nominees. So this is going to be a very busy, busy show. I am very excited. I hope you're up for the challenge, Mr. Nathan Hamilton. Oh, I'm always up for the challenge. Oh, excellent. Speaking of challenge, there's a lot of things happening in the wrestling world. Where do we want to start? Oh, God. Um, I guess the most fitting place to start would be by paying tribute to a legend that we have recently lost. Um, it's a man that w- has been a part of a lot of uh, wrestling, huge wrestling moments that I remember watching. As a guy. I remember watching Monday Nitro when the one, two, three kid got his shock win over him. I remember the birth of the NWO and when that the whole thing happened. Like God Hall has been involved in so much coolness over the years and he left a huge footprint on the wrestling business and rest in peace, Scott Hall. Uh Razor Ramon for the rest of us laymen. Um Scott Hall. Uh I am not as familiar with him as you may be, sir, because he was a little bit past my time. So I do remember him, and I always thought he was one of the sexiest wrestlers in WWE. Um, so that's got it going for him. And uh, he was also extremely talented. So what, what would and a lot of people have been giving this guy tributes, like tributes have been coming out of the woodwork for Razor Ramon. What would be your one single favorite moment you can remember of his? Um, honestly, it would be the birth of the NWO. Because they played, that was an angle that was played absolutely perfectly. Because uh, for some of our younger listeners, there wasn't an internet wrestling scene at that point. So we didn't know who had signed with who and who had, whose contract had finished with who. So you would just be watching wrestling one night and someone from another company would just poof, pop up. And you're like, holy shit, what's going on? And when he came out there, I was like, wait a minute, Razor Ramones on Nitro? What the hell is happening? And it was, I I will never forget that moment and being so confused and so excited. Uh, We also talked about um, actually cosplaying the NWO, you and I, actually. Yes, yes, we have. So, and I, you know, the NWO, even for people like myself who had kind of checked out at wrestling, we all knew about the NWO. Everyone did. Who didn't know about the NWO? That that shirt was ubiquitous. During Mm. like 97, 98, you didn't go anywhere without seeing someone wearing an NWO shirt. You know, 97, 98 is going to play a very prevalent role in this, this episode because Orgasmo came out in 1997. Uh, so uh, this is a very pinnacle years for us. Um, speaking of pinnacle, uh, we are going to go, we just found out that we are going to AEW on May 4th here in Baltimore yes. together. So yes, that's indeed gonna we be are. Kind of, and they just had their awards today, like this afternoon. And we don't go into too deep. It's not like the, like Metzler's uh, votes or anything. But, you know, none of it was surprising in the sense that we all knew that the best duel and the best stick was going to be Sam Punk and MJF, which if you've been living under a rock, you would figure that one out. 
Um, you know, Britt Baker got best most fashionable, and the Lucha Bros got best tag team. So what else in life do we need? I mean, Kenny, Kenny Omega, maybe, but I, I get well, Kenny. It was his first appearance um, on AEW since uh, he lost the belt. So it was nice to see him, and I hope he gets better because I actually miss his ass so much. I I want to see uh, Keith Lee versus Kenny Omega. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's like a wall and a cannonball hitting each other. Oh, yeah. That, that's <laughs> one of my dream matches that I have always wanted to see, and they were never in the same company at the same time. So now that it can happen, let's make it happen. Yeah. Uh, since we're going to Baltimore, this happens to be the same venue that they used to shoot Ring of Honor. I have a feeling a lot of the Ring of Honor alums are going to show up at, at that show. Like, you know, Adam Cole and, and CM Punk and Brian Danielson um, and uh, the Dan Housen. Danhausen, FTR is probably going to be there too. Maybe we'll get them boys. That would be awesome, even though we've heard why they don't want them boys on TBS because they're too afraid yeah. of something they said in the past. Okay, whatever, guys. Oh, wrestlers. You know, Scott Hall was on the airplane ride of 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 infamy and his career thrived afterwards so Dan he was Boy on the airplane but shit. i don't think he, he knew he was on the airplane though i don't think he remembers a thing <laughs> honestly uh, you know he, he he actually said that he said he has no memory of any of what happened and he says it's not like he said it didn't happen he just doesn't remember <laughs> so poor guy it's not like what rick flair did and his his rick flair had someone grab his junk and he had a, a flourishing career and still huge fan base. So I, I think they're being a little harsh on them boys, you know, so, but, but they are going to wrestle FTR finally at the first ring of honor match. That was super card of honor. News. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so we've got some big stuff happening because ring of honor is about to relaunch. Um, we went to the first GCW show in Atlanta, which yes, was a did. little bit of a, it was good, solid show, but it was kind of a bait and switch. If you want to explain at, to our audience, yeah. It, well, first of all, it was at the historic Center Stage Theater, where I mean, I've seen Flair and Hogan and Randy Savage and Sting and all the it was all the you know legends there back in the day. It was pretty cool seeing indie wrestling there. But I, what what happened with that show is we fell victim to it being too close to WrestleMania. Because all the big companies and all the independent companies put on their biggest matches at WrestleMania weekend, so we ended up getting a setup show. And that was, so it was, I, I do not want to say a disappointing show, but it was not peak GCW. Well, and, and, I, and it's funny because, you know, the end, uh, I don't know if we want to, yeah, let's spoil the ending. The ending First of all, it actually turned into a true death match for a few minutes, and everyone was really excited. Uh, Nick Gage was in a tag team with Matt Tremont. I forget who they wrestled. Who they the wrestled? second gear crew, Matthew Justice and uh, Mance Warner. Oh, yeah, how could I forget them, guys? They're awesome. How'd you forget uh, Mance? I know, but, um, but it was a very odd ending because uh, there was a double pin, one on each side, and then they called it a draw, and then they go, then we're going to fight – against you and the Briscoes three weeks from now. And everyone in the audience was like, boo. I mean, heck, yeah, they even like, pulled out light. Yeah, I mean, they pulled out light tubes even. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it, 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 so everyone was, like, really into it. And then they just, like, like, yeah, then they just ended it weirdly. And everyone's left a bit, 
bitter taste in people's mouths, I just started laughing hysterically because I realized what just happened. Uh, and I think Nick Gage did too, because he came back out, stopped the music, and kind of gave an apology speech about coming back to Atlanta. He, so, he tried, but I mean, bad move, Brett. I mean, that's that's the kind of booking that uh, that kills towns. So you, mm-hmm. all I'll say is, when you come back to Atlanta, you better fucking bring it. Well, and, and also, people were already mad at Brett because of Atticus Kogar. He's like, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what happened, and I'll respond to Atticus Kogar's uh, uh, accusations, but you have to pay On money. my Patreon. On my Patreon to find out. And it's like, fuck you. You know, you know, Atticus Kugar was not being pissy about what he said. He was just saying, this is why I can't do it. And and Brett got all huffy and said, well, I'm going to make a buck off of it. Now, honestly, I can't completely begrudge Brett a buck because always be selling. It's, that's a motto of wrestling, you know. No, you can't selling. fault a man's hustle, but, but he's, got, he's got a long way to go before he uh, earns a lot of goodwill back in Atlanta. Yeah, I know. He kind of pissed off one of the best wrestling towns in the country. Uh, you know, yep, and they also and kind it, of split it, the card, too. Go ahead. I was going to say, it looks even worse that he did that because ICW is in Chattanooga. So I, now, that if they do that again, and they think, me, for example, if I find out GCW is coming and ICW is in Chattanooga the next, the same night, guess which one I'm going to now? I'm going to go to that ICW show because I know GCW stunk up the place last time, so I'm not going to fool me once, shame on you. And ICW had a fantastic card, and it was direct competition. Matter of fact, they even mentioned John Lee Murdoch at the GCW show who's going to wrestle Janela in three weeks, right? Oh, no, it wasn't Janela. It was the other guy. But either way, you know, he's going to have a title match at GCW. He's he's wrestling Alex Colon at Joey Janela's spring break. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Alex Colon's going to win, and that's annoying. Anyway, Imagine uh, that. Yeah, I know. But, um, you know, I called him the Cody Rhodes deathmatch wrestling. <laughs> See, Alex <laughs> Colon, he, he very much is, and that's a very apt comparison. Alex Colon thinks he is a deathmatch icon. But I recently act, was got to preside over the return of an actual deathmatch icon. Yes, you did. And this and is it, a guy who not just on the indie scene, I mean, he broke Moxley. He he, he basically, literally and figuratively, uh, you know, yeah. this is the man himself. If you put Deathmatch in, di- in, in, in the dictionary and looked at a picture, you would see this man's face. So tell me, how was the return of Necro Butcher back to Deathmatch uh, Wrestling? For the first time in two years, for the first time since beating cancer which is the hardest fight he's ever had. And he, he pinned it and did, he's coming back. And I was standing in the ring. I was standing next to the referee announcing him coming to the ring. He walks out from the back, bashing himself in the head with a chair and is bleeding profusely by the time he gets in the ring. Like match hasn't even shot. His opponent hasn't even come out yet. And the first thing he does is walk over and just brain the referee with a chair. I don't think he knew it was coming, and he just crumpled. I was like, oh, okay, and then he looked at me, and I had a moment that I've, I felt a feeling I've only felt one other time in my life, and that was when I was in an elevator with a knife-wielding Gary Busey, <laughs> where, I, 
I looked at someone and thought, oh, he's about to kill me. <laughs> but luckily, I think I'm in Necro's good graces because he just looked, pointed outside the ring and goes, out. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. I'm out before I get killed here. And him and Travis Dykes put on a great match. Maybe he knew about your back surgery and knew that it would have been a bad idea. Maybe. Or or maybe the voice of violence just ingratiates himself to people who also love and know their violence. (laughs) We're we're kindred spirits. Hell, we ended up drinking with Necro Butcher all night back at the hotel, too, so. Yeah, he let you use his his, uh, dead name. Uh, for, and, and, so you got to use his real. When, when, it was one of those moments where I'm, everyone already knows his real name is Dylan. It's in the it's in the credits of the wrestler. He's not credited as Necro Butcher, but he, um, yeah. During the night, we're all drinking, and he just looks at everyone in the ring. He's like, "Would y'all stop calling me Necro? My name is Dylan." And all of us are just like, "I don't know if I can bring myself to call you Dylan." <laughs> That's just no. Nah, that's un- unthinkable. I've known you as the Necro Butcher since I started watching Deathmatch Wrestling. So that, that was a great show. It was a tribute to New Jack. It was put on by TPW in uh, good old Rocky Top, Tennessee. And uh, if you're in that area, April second, TPW has another show coming up, which is going to be awesome. And they're going to have a wrestling show, and then they're going to roll out a big screen at, at uh, the Chatterbox and stream the first night of WrestleMania. Oh, that sounds like fun. Which is going to be a really cool night. So I recommend anyone in that area check it out. Are are you going to attend that? I most likely will be there, yes. Excellent. Are you going to be announcing? If I'm there, I will be announcing. (laughs) Excellent. So you'll have to let us know if you are. Uh, We are going to have a show next week on the 30th to recap the Oscars. So if you find out by then, let us know. Will do. Excellent. So is there any other major news we need to talk about before we move on to movies? Any other major news in wrestling? I can't really think at the moment. Did Cody Cody Rhodes actually sign? No one knows for sure. I think he did. We'll we'll find out when he walks out on WrestleMania. Uh, I did... I did see a um, note from him. Uh, he was on a podcast recently. I think it might have even been unrestricted. Um, and he said that even, you know, he goes, even with the other people involved, that's how he phrased it. He says he's remaining vice president of talent at AEW. So, um, so there's some conflict going on, sounds like. Uh, <laughs> Can can you actually? I mean, yes, but can you actually be the talent manager of one promotion, and then and be the uh, star of the chief rivals? Uh, it's not unheard of, but it has not been done in at least decades. So it's like since the territory days. So I don't think it would be possible now, but it's it's it's. Honestly, not unheard of. I mean, I will have to say, no matter what you think of Cody, and I know what you think of Cody, uh, he did bring in a lot of amazing talent to AEW and did set up some amazing careers. And, you know, the Bullet Club came with him. 
And if it wasn't for the Bullet Club, AEW would not be where it is now. Uh, So, um, by the way, I was so happy to see that Minoru Suzuki got two shout-outs during the AEW Awards tonight. Murder Murder Grandpa is currently – oh, there's something else we need to mention. The New Japan Cup is going on right now. Oh, yeah, that's right. They are putting on banger after banger after banger. This has been a hell of a tournament. And Minoru Suzuki was in my – there's two matches out of the tournament so far that are neck and neck. They're honestly match of the year contenders. There's one, which is Murder Grandpa and Hiromu Takahashi, where there is not a single move for the first 15 minutes except them chopping each other. They both made each other's chests bleed with chops in this, and they just chop each other and laugh about it. And and it's like, um, oh god, I cannot remember his name, the commentator. Right? And someone throws on a headlock, and he's like, "Oh my god!" In the middle of this fight, a wrestling match broke out, and it turns into like a pretty good match from there. That was amazing. And then there was Shingo Takagi and um, Tomohiro Ishii, and. Ah. If you know these two guys, if they just go in there and basically try to kill each other, and they <laughs> did not disappoint this time. I mean, there's, oof, there's some shit in that that if Tomohiro Ishii had a neck, I would swear it was broken. It, it, you know, we don't cover New Japan as much as we ought to, ought to on this show, honestly, now that we have a pro wrestling segment. Because New Japan always brings it, always. I mean, they, 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 they are, I would say of all the worldwide wrestling promotions, they're probably the pinnacle of, they're better than AEW. And a lot of our, the best talent at AEW came from New Japan. So, I very much, I very much see AEW as like, like a, almost a perfect mixture of WWE and New Japan. Taking the best parts of both of them and putting them together. And the part they would get from New Japan is just the amazing in-ring product because, like, the New Japan, the actual wrestling, their storylines are sometimes there, but the actual wrestling, there's not a promotion in the world that can touch them. So now we just need Will Osprey to uh, come o- the crossover to AEW, at least for a match or two, um, and then I would be happy. Because he's the only wrestler on, that hasn't that I love from New Japan, except for maybe Evil, um, who has not done a, a at least a walk on on AEW. Minoru Suzuki and Danielson had a chop fight, then a wrestling fight also broke out with that one too. You know. Think about uh, Osprey. Think about Osprey versus your boy Sammy. How good would that oh be? My- Oh my God! Yeah, no, high flyer versus high flyers, and I want to say it's bullshit that um, Sammy and Ray Phoenix lost the high flyer award to Dante Martin uh, tonight. Uh, nothing against Dante Martin; he's actually super talented, and he's an up-and-coming star in on the AEW roster. But no one, no one can fly like Ray Phoenix. Not anyone, and they were nope. showing. Him dropping off the steel cage match, which, by the way, they did win for that, um, the steel cage match and all yeah. out, which was amazing, right? But that was that, the, that was the only one of the awards that I actually was sh- kind of shocked by. Yeah, I mean, so, like, like you said, Phoenix is the best high flyer in the game right now. So, but I guess they, it's it's a good way to get the young talent over, you know, give it to uh, eh, it Ray Phoenix. 
needed that word. I mean, I actually no, he doesn't need it because I know he's still the best. But you know, exactly. it still it still upset me. I was like, there's no one as good as Ray Phoenix on the top. Nobody. <laughs> you know, nope. so and you know, and and it was so nice to see him again. He hasn't been on AEW since his injury, uh, and uh, he looked pretty good. I wonder if he's coming back soon. He, I hope from he what does. I hear, he's get he's getting close. Yeah. From from uh, the uh, prognosis I've heard, he he seems to be doing all right. We need he's to get him back. in the ring, and we need to finally see Dan Housen wrestle. Uh, he's still not been medically cleared, uh, so I we hope need to. We- we need to get Phoenix back so we can get a brother battle between the Lucha Brothers and the Hardy Boys. That'd be awesome. And the Hardy Boys just had a fantastic uh, uh, no disqualification hardcore match on tonight's episode of Dynamite. It was a lot of fun. And Sting and Darby Allen, Butcher and Blade, and I think it was Private Party, even though Private Party seemed kind of incidental to the whole thing. <laughs> but, Private Party uh, has been incidental to everything for a while now. Yeah, but I mean, there was a one point where the butcher was just dragging Darby Allen by the arm through the concession stand. It was hysterical, um, and, and all these people are like, "Oh my stairs. god!" Yep, just well, you know, he's good at that. Like, you, you know, no one can take a bump down the stairs as good as Darby Allen. No one. Um, but I will say, I was saying in the, while we were watching the match that that the blade and and. Uh, and Darby are probably the best people who take bumps in AEW. Like, they get their asses kicked. Oh, but now they've got Jeff Hardy. We'll see. We'll see. Jeff Hardy is just crazy. I mean, he was climbing up on the rafters, and he was doing some real serious GCW-type shit. Um, that was a rough during landing. His match. That yeah, was a rough was. landing. There were some tables. I, I, I'm assuming those tables were set up for that bump, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, it, it's outside of the ring and, and there's no control in there there's people around you you know people move shit uh, you know, so uh but it was fine I, it was a good episode oh, it's a good episode so like so i said it was a, it was a it was a rough ass landing but he hit it right he stuck the landing but did. i'd like to talk about someone who can't stick a landing um and, and that's a motherfucker by the name of ty west Oh, yes. I was going to say, we should talk real quick for the other Sexy Witches. We have two films to quickly That's what you call a segue. Hell yeah. So tell us about Ty West and X, which, by the way, I don't. we don't have to go into details, but there is some infamy between you and Ty West. You don't always are on the same page artistically <laughs> or in real life. No, it was a, there's a, that he's the only celebrity I've ever actually kind of publicly feuded with. In fact, me and Brad always used to sign off the show with fuck Ty West, but he made the first movie he's ever made that I liked. The ending of this movie is stupid as shit, but it's a good movie. Yeah, but I, it's fun. It, it really, I enjoyed it, and I don't expect to enjoy Ty West movies. And so I, I recommend that. And there's one thing that keep that I keep going back to in X is that I feel like Ty West is a more mature filmmaker now. And part of that is because, and I'd noticed something, because I kept noticing throughout this movie, <laughs> there have been a lot of times when people will tell me that their, the theme of their movie is, these are the fears I was dealing with when I saw it, and you, it doesn't come through. It, you, you're like, how do you get that from that movie? This movie 
is 100% all about how terrifying it is to realize your youth is gone and fears of getting older. And I looked up his age just to think of that. And he is right now 41 years old, younger than one year younger than me, which means when he was making this movie, he probably turned 40 on set. So I think we watched Ty West go through a midlife crisis on film. <laughs> well, well, at least that t- it, it improved his art artistic abilities and made it less boring. So yeah, it, but it, like the the themes actually resonate, much unlike the themes he has tried to give us in his other movies. So honestly, still to this day, fuck Ty West. But as a staff a motherfucking record label and as a crew. And if you want to be down with Ty West, then fuck you too. But, wait a minute, that's the wrong one. But, um, yeah. <laughs> if he continues on the path he's on right now, I could see him actually making a good movie that I don't have to put an asterisk behind. Well, which is shocking too. to me. So I, um, I recommend, and even the people who didn't like it seem to have only disliked like the last 15 minutes of the movie. Uh, that seems to be the consensus. And um, speaking of dumb, uh, but I'm also happy I saw it. Uh, you know, the the FP universe is expanded. It has adjacent things like the Slayer videos, for example. And uh, B.J. McDonald, who is the director of Hatchet 3, he also directed, um, was the uh, drone director on Shazam!, and he also was the drone, uh, the the one of the uh, camera operators on the FP universe, and he had a movie come out called Studio Six Six Six, starring of all people the Foo Fighters and David Grohl, and uh, Jay Tro was in it, and so it was kind of neat to see the Jason Trost on the big screen in something that's not his movie. Makes me excited, and you got to see it too. I did. It it reminded me kind of of like a Beatles movie or a monkeys movie or one of those where the band plays themselves and gets put in wacky situations, only really bloody. I, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was, it was kind of fluff, but it was fun fluff. And I like fun fluff. What'd you think? Uh, it, it was definitely junk food. That's kind of how I felt about it. You know, there's just a lot of junk food in the movie too. <laughs> so, uh, this is the eccentric theme about it. Uh, but uh, I like the location that they shot in. That mo- that that house is very famous in L.A. Um, matter of fact, uh, I'm sure uh, when uh, Aaron uh, can tell us more about it, but I believe the Red Hot Chili Peppers also rented that house at one point and, uh, and recorded Blood Sugar Sex Magic there, and a few other people in that house. So, um, you know, it, it, it changes hands a lot. So I thought that was pretty cool. So if you're into Hollywood, um, you know, history, that, that was a, a really fun shout out. So I, I do recommend when it comes out on streaming to watch Studio 668. Even that notes for our boy Trey Trail and BJ, because, uh, you, you know, we st- need to support That's still you. in theaters. That is still going in theaters. Go out. Don't wait until it comes out on the streaming. Get your ass to the theater and see it. Well, yeah, if you can. I thought it was gone at this point. If Blink, you miss it. it but, there's, um, there's still a few places that's hanging on. So, I mean, you've got a couple of movies out there right now worth seeing. I, I won't say anything for Batman because I'm probably going to see that next week because I haven't seen it yet. But you've got a, a, a handful of movies out there worth seeing right now. So go out there, support your theaters, especially if you have independent theaters in your area, and go watch some movies, man. 
Yeah, no, Studio 666 and the Batman is worth seeing. We'll, we'll talk about it on another episode. We just don't have time right now. Um, and, uh, you know, and X, well, Ty West actually broke his own mold, so we're excited there. But none of those movies will be nominated for an Oscar or will, or are nominated for an Oscar at the end of uh, end of the uh, this weekend. So the uh, day Ty West on... gets nominated for an Oscar, that's that's the day I give up on cinema. <laughs> now BJ maybe someday is a counter operator. Well, yeah, I don't absolutely. know if you notice he is super super talented. And let's bring indeed. on the rest of our sexy witches who both reside now. In Orange County, so please welcome to my show, my one of my favorite co-hosts, and also the person who brought our guest to into the sexy witch's coven. Please welcome to the show, Raven, Jasper, Hoppy, the Enchantress of Nevermore. Welcome, you're on with the sexy witches. Yo, yo. I'm actually in yeah. L.A. County because um, ah. I have to be in the one with 20 million people for some reason. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we are neighbors. Ah, excellent. And of course, we got my ex-cousin, but will always be my cousin in my heart. Uh, please welcome to the show, Aaron Cogan, the orange, the or, the warlock of Orange County. How are you doing? <laughs> I am very well. How are you tonight? Fine. Now, did you hear what I was talking about? The house in Studio Six 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 was like this lady's yeah. house. I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure it, that's actually in Encino. That's in the valley, and um. Uh, I was trying to remember other movies that have been built there, but I, I know for sure that Foo Fighters recorded one of their albums there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, a lot of people have used that house, like, movies and mm-hmm. music. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the same house Blood Sugar Sex Magic was shot, was built, was recorded in, um, you know, so, which, by the way, was one of my favorite right. albums. Um, so I, oh, I was oh, very pleased fuck to yes. see it. Yeah, so uh, so welcome. The whole coven's here. We have about half an hour, not quite a half an hour, till Dion Bahar. Dion oh, Bahar. Exciting. We gotta make sure we say it comes on the show. <laughs> I, I mean, for for our horror geeks out there, I, I mentioned Orgasmo, but for horror geeks out there who don't know Cannibal the Musical, you know this guy. You've seen his face, and if you know basketball, if you know basketball, he's the giant pineapple. So, uh, you know, you know, Dion Gahar has also been a voice and directed episodes, I believe, of South Park. So I know he was the, uh, the, the sure Mr. Hanky Poop. Yeah. So uh, and <laughs> turned, yeah. he's done a lot of awesome things. So I can't wait to talk about it. But first, let's talk about the Oscars because he's in an Oscar nominated film. That's why we have him on the show. Yes, he's he done, is. Uh, Nightmare Alley, Guillermo del Toro. So. Nightmare Alley oh. does not sound like it's going to have any chance of winning Best Picture. No, yeah. unfortunately. And I'm, as you said, uh, we're out here in L.A. Uh, we see the ads aimed at Academy voters like y'all see ads during election season. All right. Um, try to watch Jeopardy <laughs> and not <laughs> be an ad, you know. Uh, available for your consideration every effing five minutes. But, really? Uh, oh yes, oh yes. That's fascinating, actually. Go up to LA. Go up to Hollywood. Big old uh, available in all categories. Billboards just fall in your face. Um, but I did not know that's a thing. Oh yeah, it's a big thing out here. I, well, well, this is you know company town, yo. 
Yeah. Um, but as far as uh, Nightmare Alley, which I adored, uh, it doesn't appear to have the buzz. Not enough people saw it. And that's an effing crying shame because it was brilliant. That just blows I, I, my mind that it would be enough people saw it. Like, like I it was on HBO Max. <laughs> I mean, all of us, on HBO all Max of and Hulu. And I guarantee you, a hundred percent of the sexy witches have seen that movie. Nathan just finished yep. watching it a couple days ago. Finally saw it. It seems to be one of the more mainstream accessible movies that's nominated. So it kind of surprised me. It's one of the underwatched ones. I, yeah. It's. It's very weird, uh, and you know, with and the awards it's going to win, which I believe it's got a good shot at production design and makeup and hair, are not going to be televised. Yes. So fuck those guys. Uh, um, matter of fact, I want to talk to Dean Bashar about that because it turns out that Dean Bashar is also a, as much of the FX makeup whore as we are. So uh, you know, uh, so we got to talk to him about that because I mean, oh my god. The, the one thing you can't say about that movie is that the makeup, I mean, the makeup was amazing and the costumes were beautiful. Yes, it was. You know, it's but, a Guillermo you know, del Toro movie. Of course it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> the same guy who did Shape of Water um, did the it, it did the makeup. So uh, not surprising mm-hmm. there. So uh, I'm going to go out on a limb. I think I know which movie is going to win. Interesting. Yeah, I'm making a prediction right now, and it's going to be a surprise. I think it's going to be Coda. Really? Yep, it won the PGA, and it won the SAG. The only one that didn't win was the DGA, and that went to Jane Campion, Power of Dog, which I called from the beginning. I said Jane Campion's got the director's award this year, but I think Coda is going to be the upset win this year. Wow. There was all that controversy with uh, Champion's acceptance speech, which uh, mm-hmm. might, uh, you know, catch up with her. Yeah, but voting was already over. So, you know, it, it might not. Uh, no, I think there. voting. No, no, I think was voting, voting uh, was still going on. Oh, I think it was, yeah. Well, then then, then maybe she won't get it. I still think James going to win Power of Dog. Because now that. Coda's got a win. really good chance, but I'm, I'm thinking it's still going to be Power of the Dog. We'll see. I just, you know, I've never not seen the PGA and the DGA. Like, when they split, I usually go with the producer's guild choice. And the SAG award went for that. That also means that Power of Dog is probably going to win an acting award somewhere. Um, So, um, you know, even though I want to say on the side, I was excited that Squid Game won the two television acting awards for Ensemble (laughs) and Best Actor and Best Actress. Hell the fuck yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that was cool. Anyway, I'll digress. But um, you know, but I I actually think, and, and we'll co- we'll listen to this episode in a couple days and see if I'm full of shit or not. But I'm I'm coming <laughs> on a limb. I I think Coda is gonna surprise everyone and take the win. Could be, could be. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking um, Dune is going to win makeup though. You think Dune's going to really? win for Nightmare Alley? I got I got Dune for makeup and um. I have um, Schnabby Cruella Deville for uh, costume. I would hope that Cruella Deville wins for costumes because they were delightful. Yeah. My favorite one oh was the moth, co- the moth costume. The the moth dress <laughs> was so cool. gorgeous. 
Yeah. It is gorgeous and and terrible all at the same time. It's exactly. exactly. Oh my god. And the and the fake Herods was awesome in that movie. So uh, you know, I, I'm I, yeah, I, I I would hope, but once again, it's not being. I don't think they're showing costumes either, right? That's one of the words they're not going to show. They'll show. My, <laughs> they'll ugh. show it. It's just like here's a recap of what you missed. Like previously, I'll give you. Earlier that, this evening, awards were given in the following categories. Right. I mean, it's one thing when it's the Grammys who give like 50,000 awards, <laughs> right? Because there's so many subgenres of music. But, you know, there's only, what, 24 awards total in, in the Academy? Yeah. And, there's, and there should be it's more. It's really small like that. There should be like a stunt coordinator too. We keep saying that. We're not the only one that by, said that, by the no. way. There's actually a, a kind of a big push in Hollywood, I've heard, of people trying to get stunt coordinators in Oscar. Right. And it's just been yeah. for years. So, uh, right. you know. Like when, you, when you go to the movies, there's not 24 credits, there's like 2,400 credits. Thank and they you. all have their own rules. And, so, and you know, they, um, they bit. Go ahead, Raymond. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm so oh, annoyed with okay. this. Only, only pulling out 24 is just, it's a facade. You know, that's not how a movie is made with these 24 people. They are very key <laughs> parts, but there's also a ton of other key parts. Look, and, and, and here's the thing. They bitch constantly that one of the reasons why the ratings are so low is because they don't have mainstream films nominated. A stunt coordinator award would get some mainstream films nominated. Yeah. Because they have, yeah, like the Batman, for example, would have a chance of getting an award. Yeah. Even though I would say maybe in a year's time, the person who did the art direction for that film should probably be nominated. I don't know if you saw that, but holy shit. Um, it was like the guy vomited every favorite Gothic building in every United States city he could find. If you even look at one point, there's a, a the tribute building from Oakland, California, is in a shot. So, oh, but only I have I would the know categories here. Uh huh. I have the categories here that will not be shown live on air. They are documentary, short subject, really stupid not to show that because those are your future directors, film editing. Um, I can't think of anything stupider not to show. Uh, is there anything as important as an editor? Why do they always Except piss on Maybe editor? possibly the director. Catering. Uh, makeup and hairstyling. Um, you guys are idiots because that's nice and visual and everyone wants to see that. Music. Original score. Um, I'm flabbergasted that they wouldn't show that. Production design. Wow. Short film animated. Short film live action. And sound. What the hell, man? Which used to be uh, two separate categories, which used to be sound mixing and sound editing, and has now been folded yeah. into one category, which we're not going to show you live on air. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they, and they, they, they keep pissing on editors on the show. And, uh, yes. and, you know, I don't understand why they keep doing this, because editing is – the editor-director relationship is sacred. And I don't they're understand here. why you they don't have I mean, at least they're allowing cinematographer to be aired. I mean which yeah. doesn't make me feel that much better. Um but you know what does make me feel better? Here's a not, here's a prediction that I think is actually gonna happen. I think the summer soul has got the documentary feature. Yeah, yeah I, hope I think you're right. 
Yeah, I think it got it. Uh, it won. It won the best documentary at the Producers Guild Awards. Once again, I usually default to who wins Producer Guild, who's going to win the features and the Oscar. And uh, Summer of Soul, as we all know, all of us just loved it. Raven had it as her number one film of the year. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, the dark horse here would be Flea. Yeah, Flea is cool. I, I saw Flea the yeah. other day. Flea is actually really cool. It, Nathan, you like Flea. Flea is an animated documentary, but it is so cool. Yeah, yeah I'm interested in seeing that. Is An animated documentary about what? What is it about? I'm like so tired. I can't even remember now. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my god! It, it's it's a, a, about a. Sorry, go. No, you do it. You do it. You do it. Oh, <clears throat> I beg your pardon. Um, it's uh, about a uh, Danish animated direct uh, docudrama, and it follows the story of a man under the alias Aman Nawabi who shares his hidden past of fleeing his country for the first time. Interesting. Yeah, it, yeah it, it, it's, hmm. there's Mid East themes, but it's not a Mid East movie. Um, that's why I was like having a hard time explaining it because it really is an international movie. Um, so it, it's cool. I, I do think Flea might be an undercard um, for the winter, yeah. but I think Summer Soul has got it. I think you're right. Yeah. So, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. I just feel kind of like I'm going to be invited to a party that I don't know any of the people because all of my favorite categories are not being shown. And I, oh, once yeah. again, you know, once again, I, I want to say that they, they don't know their audience because the, they have low ratings, but the same core people have been watching the Oscars and watch them every year. And and they don't give a shit about best actor and actress and director. Well, they do director, but actress and actress and yeah. best picture is not even that important. It's the smaller people. It's just under. It's the below the line awards that matter. Because a, there might be a chance that your friend is nominated. And I have had friends nominated for Oscars. Arrow Slayton was nominated for animated supervisor for Nightmare Before Christmas. So uh, you know, <laughs> I I you know I I'm never gonna know Michelle Pfeiffer. But I know it's B.J. McDonald, right? <laughs> I know Sarah yeah. Trost. Sarah Trost has got a huge chance to win uh, uh, an Emmy with the ring with a uh, with a uh, uh, you know gemstones. There's a chance someday she might win an, an Oscar. You know, uh, you know, it, 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 but they're not going to show it on air. I mean, everyone deserves their their moment to walk on stage. That's the moment everybody. Do you remember the year that they actually stopped it? where they didn't allow certain awards to walk on stage. One of them was documentary short, and the woman walked up to the microphone and goes, this is bullocks. And that was her uh, <laughs> speech. I don't remember that. Well, this uh, year, they're, they're taking that off so Twitter users can vote for their favorite film. Hashtag Oscars fan favorite. That's what you're going to okay. see. Oh, good. Yay. Just what I never asked for. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, what what are they going to fill the time that the awards would have been shown with? More bad montages? Commercials. Probably. Right. Commercials. Interacting with the audience and being like, ha ha, you don't have your mask on right now. Ha ha. Oh, God. 
God, you're right. Oscar Mayer. Here's the Stranger Kids cast. Oh. Everyone, take a baby bell. That's what it's going to be. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. This is my, oh, my. Letterman was, doing, was back on. You know. um, oh, my God. That was so much fun. Yeah. You know, I, I also defend Seth MacFarlane's hosting. I thought his hosting was fantastic. And people did not get it. And I totally got it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so we we have multiple hosts this year, right? They're doing, they're breaking it down. Yes, yeah. three. Relay, yeah. relay stuff. Who, who is it again? I forget. <laughs> I have an invitation well, to the Oscars it, like I usually It's do. year of the woman, so it's three women. Uh, it's Amy Schumer, Regina Hall. And Wanda Sykes, and I'm most excited for Wanda Sykes. I love Wanda. But, you know, honestly, all three of those yeah. women are really funny and solid solid people. So I, I, I don't see mm-hmm. any issues with them being bad hosts, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll see. Uh, it, 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 I just don't understand taking – I'm still going to be sore about them taking my editor board away. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know. So it makes yeah. it especially. You're you're right. Uh, so, but um, okay. So, is there any outlandish predictions? I mean, we think Encanto is gonna win, but the wrong song was put up for nomination. Um, mm-hmm. It'll probably win feature, right? Um, because it Anime had all feature. the momentum. Yeah. So, but I, I don't remember Encanto yet. But I oh, you haven't. No, I need to. Um, but I did watch the Mitchells versus the Machines. Yay! That's on, I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's uh, on Netflix. I think, I is it? I thought it was, oh, yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. It's Netflix, sorry. Yeah, I think Netflix and Sony in a uh, side fling. And <laughs> uh, it was really good. Um, yeah. I really liked um there's there's a one of the main the main character is queer and um if you're queer you'll fi- you'll figure it out right away and if you're not queer you'll figure it out later but <laughs> I mean the, the feature the feature uh category is very very the animated feature is very solid this year um and yeah. there is also a possibility that if Flea doesn't win documentary cuz Summer Soul's going to win that Flea will win here so this also nominated for animated. Film. Right. So oh, so there's right. a chance of an upset, and it would be kind of cool to see an adult an adult, you know, film win an animated feature. Do you yeah. a kids movie? Um, now right. Wolfwalkers is the same people that did uh, you know uh, uh, the the Secret of Kells and and Sea of Love, and those guys are awesome. I I love those guys so much. You know the, the is that a short. You know so. Um, well, or no, wait a minute. Wolfwalkers might have been last year. I think Wolfwalkers was last year. Never mind. I think, I think that's last year. I still love them. Yeah, that was last year. I got confused. You have to excuse me. Yeah, um, Lusa, <laughs> Lusa is up for, it's not, and Raya, my daughter Luka called Raya the Last good. Dragon, and she thought it was sad. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was a little sad, but um, I, I didn't think it was Disney's best stuff. I, I would probably give it a B. Um, we just saw uh, the the panda 
Red Panda movie, um, I did Turning too. Red. Boy, was that weird. Loved it. Freaking loved it. So we'll talk about that and next year, I'm sure. My daughter's been watching it quite a bit. She thinks it's hysterical. One point she looks at her and says, Mom, what is gyrating? <laughs> right on. So Does she want a Tamagotchi? Yeah, so, oh my God, she says that her, her favorite part of, of that movie is all the food. Wrong. So, yeah, so this is what she said about it. She evil Genius is right. Are, yeah, boy bands are cringy, according to the Evil Genius, so. No, no, Billy Eilish uh, wrote the songs for that. No. Hilarious and wonderful. <laughs> well, I think it's just in general, boy bands are cringy. It's not necessarily bad. Okay, well, yeah. Yeah, not really wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I would highly, once again, um, there's actually some, this has been a solid winter for movies. I've seen several good movies this winter. I would even put the Jackass movie in there because I actually did enjoy the shit out of the <laughs> Jackass movie. I saw that with Nathan and my evil genius. I took my evil yep. genius to see a Jackass movie because I'm a good mother. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, so um, is there anything we want to say? We got about ten more minutes before our Dion, Dion Bahar calls in. I'm still counting down. Spadoinkle. Uh, um, I <laughs> got Hans Zimmer. I got Hans Zimmer for Dune. Best score. But, but how will oh. we know? Because we don't get to hear it. Yeah, you're not going to see it online. But God damn it, I love scores. Um, I I listen to soundtracks probably more than any other music. And it's important to me. An interview with Hans Zimmer on Turner, Turner Classic Movies about his Dune score. Hmm. I didn't see um, that. Well, how he, was it? Uh, it was really good. Ben Mankiewicz interviewed him, and he picked, like, three movies to watch. It was pretty cool. But um, Oh, damn. Saying, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. When he was scoring for Dune, he had no idea he was scoring for the small screen. And he said that if he had known, he would have scored it entirely differently. So it'll be interesting to see um, if, you know, if he wins uh, when he, it looked like he was kind of mad about it a little. Um, he's really gracious, but he's like, yeah, the way the sound comes through in a theater versus when you're at home is much different. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a massive it's, it's score, too. I. It's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful big effing score to go with a big effing movie. So I I I, I actually understand that criticism of his or yeah. quibble or whatever you want to call it. Sure, yeah, we'll go with quibble. That sounds good. <laughs> well, we didn't talk about one award. We usually always talk about it. Writing. I, oh, yeah. Yeah. Who do? We got we've got one of the Coens, right? Um, and uh, don't look up won the Writers Guild Award. Matter of fact, it tied yeah. with another film. Um, I forget what the second film. It might have been Coda, actually. Um, so actually, I'm pretty sure it was Coda. Did I say Coda to you, Nathan, when I was yeah. looking those back up? This I afternoon? believe you did. Yes. Yeah. So um, once again, I think Coda is. And and it's interesting because they often give the uh, screenplay award, except for the year Parasite, which was awesome that they got both. Um, they usually give mm-hmm. that as the as the consolation for not winning Best Picture, right? So uh, 
we'll see. But uh, Power of the Dog is also up for that award. Um, at least I think it's, yeah, because adapted screenplay. So, uh, it, you know, so Don't Look Up is, might win for original. Oh, bloody hell. So we'll see what happens. You didn't like Don't Look Up? No, I, I was just uh, uh, trying to find my freaking list here. Um, uh, <laughs> and scrolling through and things were bring down on me. Um, I think this year for, um, for original screenplay, it's down to either Paul Thomas Anderson with Licorice Pizza or oh, yeah. uh, Kenneth Branagh with Belfast. I think it's it's down to those two for and for original Belfast screenplay. And Belfast is going to be the ultimate snub because it's the film that everyone loves that nobody voted for. So. <laughs> I mean, seriously, everyone love everyone I know has loved Belfast, and yet it's not going to get mm. voted for at all. And yet, people love Power of the Dog, and I found that movie good. <laughs> <laughs> have Have you seen uh, Honest Trailers uh, bit for the 2022 Oscars yet? No, oh boy, not. <laughs> I will tag you all in it because it is pretty effing on point as well as <laughs> funny. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm, if I'm going with y'all on um, Power of the Dog not getting that picture and, and it going to Coda, then I got to think that the adapted script uh, is going to win for uh, Power of the Dog. We'll see. Power of the Dog is going to get something. We just don't know which one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! It, I mean, it is a beautiful film. I mean, I, I it's gorgeous. Yes. But there was a lot of gorgeous movies. I mean, all Mel, Belfast is pretty, and so is Nightmare mm-hmm. Alley. Is absolutely just oh God, it, it is. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, so well, speaking uh, of pretty, who do you got for cinematography? I'm not really sure. I mean, I, that one was one of the tightest races, if I remember right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually probably squeaking out Power of the Dog on that one because I mean it, if you wanted to do some lazy beautiful shots of, of Prairie Scapes that movie just had it in <laughs> spades <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's just like gorgeous gorgeous looking movie um, you know Roger. but then again like I, I really that one I thought was the tightest race of all of them so what do you think I got Roger Deakins for Dune I agree with you. I think Power of the Dog is right nipping at its heels. I, I'm not sure Dune is going to do as well as you think it's going to do, dude. Oh, so, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Um, you know, you know, if we didn't even talk about the acting awards because we already know who's going to get what. I mean, Ariana DeBose is going to get the supporting <laughs> actress, and you know, and they didn't invite the lead to the Oscars. Um, you know, well, not initially, I, but now she's a presenter. Uh, Will Smith is going to be is going to be nominating for uh, he might win for actor yes. I think this year. I agree um, with you. Yeah. Excuse me for a moment. The evil genius is calling, and I got to get back on. So I'll be right back. Someone tap dance. Okay. I am not mention that I think Dune is going to take visual effects because I'm apparently the Dune guy now. 
You seem to have a partial. But it is. It's going to take visual Uh, effects. Damn you all to hell. I (laughs) want to give an underdog card on that to Free Guy. I just saw Free Guy. That movie was better than it had any right to be. Better than Spider Man No Way Home? Better than Shang Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings? Oh, Shang Chi was a beautiful movie. Shang Chi was awesome. Don't get me wrong, but I. Free Guy surprised me, like, how good that movie is. And with the evil genius watching it, there were a lot of references I didn't get. Like, she goes, oh, that's Fortnite. I, you know, I don't know. And she's like, oh, those are real YouTubers. I watch their channels, you know. I was like, (laughs) yeah, so, you know, so that was kind of cool, like, watching it with the. Yes, I I will eat a sandworm. If Dune doesn't win visual effects, you heard it here. All right. All right. Well, uh, we that's a, a big, one. that's a big friggin' meal, man. <laughs> well, yeah. Live on the air. What? My no, guest ew. is calling it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, anyway, so um, it's eleven o'clock, and all's well. I hope you. Um, I hope he calls in. So uh, if not, we got so looking to... forward to talking to him. So excited for this. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it's all I'm asking for, after all, you know. I know that there's more to life than women. I just can't seem to figure out what else there is. I don't need it every night. Every morning it'd be just fine. A little sex. That's all I'm asking for. That's all I'm asking for. That's all he's asking for. Something I can test, a gal would suit me best. I got a thing to use, I know what to use it for. A girl I can love and kiss and hold and foot. That's all I'm asking for. No, I- <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Well, no freaking good. If, if anybody's out there listening tonight, it is a live call-in show. You are welcome to call in and talk to our guest. He is very, very juvi- uh, jovial, not juvi- <laughs> jovial, and very positive person. Um, his phone number, uh, our phone number to call in is 646-716-9172. Once again, that is 646-716-9172. The Sexy Witches are looking forward to your call. And on the line is... Oh my god, okay, I'm gonna fangirl so much is I can't even give the intro. <laughs> so uh, um you may know this gentleman from Hannibal the Musical or from Squeak from Basketball or even some of his uh, many indie credits. He has so many indie credits, but it will always be Choder Boy to me. Please yes. show a huge sexy witch welcome to Dean Bahar. Hey, hey, how's everybody going? Oh, welcome. You're on the Sexy Witches. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. I had a huge, wonderful intro for you, and I just geeked out. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded perfect. I think you did it right on on spot. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm Liz, the the sexy, um, the head huntress. We have on the line, we have in Atlanta, Nathan Hamilton. He's our dirty thrower and sorcerer. We have Hello, the Enchantress. Awesome. We have Raven Jasper Hawk, the Enchantress of Nevermore out of L.A. Or currently Hi, out of L.A. 
And you know that person, <laughs> apparently. <I> and <laughs> and um, <laughs> last but certainly not least, Aaron Kogan. He's the Orange County Warlock. And uh, basically, he's our correspondent for all things L.A. So welcome to the show. Awesome. We have uh, – Hello to everybody. Thank oh, you. Oh, my gosh. I know we stalked you, and we got you on the air. Um, but, um, I, I, before we – there's a couple things that I want to ask. First of all, this is to you and Raven. How do you know each other? Something between her father? Oh, it goes before that, actually. So um, in the before time, kids, there was a place called Tower Records. And I worked there yeah. as a video assistant manager. And mm-hmm. back then, um, if you wanted to order a videotape, you had to pay the rental price before you could pay the everyday <sighs> consumer price. So I special ordered a VHS copy of Cannibal the Musical so I could buy it for $85 with oh, my employee so account. <laughs> yeah. <Wow. laughs> and the person, that's an insane amount of money. How do they justify that? Right. Well, they huh. guess they think they're going to rent it out to customers, so it'll pay for itself. Yeah. Okay. But I, I just wanted to rent it out to my heart. And Nita <laughs> was in shipping and receiving and said, who the hell ordered this? Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, that's mine. And we got to talking, and it turns out y'all were friends already. So um, yeah. then I stalked you on Facebook a little, and I found you. Cool. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Cannibal the Musical is uh, – that was the first feature film I did. We did that in college, and it was uh, Trey Parker's senior thesis film. So it was really predominantly filmed. I would say most of it was filmed during spring break. And then we had a few, or actually several consecutive weekends thereafter that we did it. And it was kind of like a big, uh, kind of a big giant film studies uh, field trip to some extent, because we really actually traveled to most of the places that Alfred Packer actually traveled to. So it was actually a really Mm -hmm. cool historical journey. And we went to all the same spots and learned a lot about, about what happened and it's it's crazy because I actually didn't even know about Alfred Packer until I went to Sea Boulder and I they actually had a restaurant there on the campus called the Alfred Packer Grill and it's like oh, a hamburger wow. joint <laughs> which is it's pretty gnarly you know if you think about the history of Alfred Packer you're like wow Alfred Packer hamburgers so that sounds yeah. a little kind of sketchy <laughs> but it, it was just kind of uh kind of my my introduction to that whole world and then then i delved in further and realized what the actual history of it was. And Trey wrote this really crazy comedy, as you know about it. Mm. And it's, uh, it's actually the very first thing he and I worked on together. We were actually paired up together working on a, uh, a scene. We were scene partners in an acting class together. My parents mm-hmm. actually did not want me to study theater or acting when I went to college. And they, they really wanted me to be a journalism major, which I initially was, but I really did not appreciate the, very strict formatted style of journalism and I wanted to do stuff a little more creative and I really wanted to act. So I took a napping class as an elective and in doing so I uh, I was paired up with Trey and, and actually the day that we were paired up with scene partners for this acting class, um, both Trey and I were sick that day. And so the next day when we showed up, the teacher was like, hey, you're working with Trey. Is that okay? And I was like, sure. I don't I don't know, care, whatever. Yeah. So we worked together and that was my introduction to him. And we became friends. And during that time, he told me that he was actually a film major. And I found out that pretty much all of the film majors 
um, use other film majors in their films. And I realized hmm. that, wow, this is actually maybe a sneaky way for me to study acting without my parents realizing it. So I switched majors nice. and became a film major and, and really with the whole intent behind trying to meet filmmakers and learn how to act on film. But to be honest with you, I really think that it's a really good idea for anybody to pursue acting that is pursuing acting to have a, at least a very basic understanding of film and how, how it's made and all the production that goes into it because more often than not, you'll find actors, especially out in LA that really, they think they're the main event. You know, they, they think that they're the main key ingredient for a film and that's not even remotely the case. You know, you're just one little puzzle piece within this whole scope of things. And I think that once you have a better appreciation of all of the work that everybody's doing to try to make this happen, I think you just appreciate film more in general, and I think you'll have a better experience. You have a better understanding of what your what your purpose is, and realize that you're actually just a component that's helping to tell a story. And um, I was really grateful for the experience. So I actually, I really just dove into it and got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in uh, film production, which is a more advanced degree. And I did a lot of film history and then film production, and I learned how to work on a bunch of student films, worked on films with Trey, and and this was uh, the Cannibal the Musical was a film that was financed um, primarily with uh, some teacher support. Some teachers kicked in some money, and then some uh, wealthy oh, parents. Nice. I think the budget was roughly about a hundred thousand dollars. I could be wrong, but I think it was somewhere in that ballpark. Wow! And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, nobody got paid to do it. It was all of that money went towards the film cost because film is so expensive. They don't even use it anymore. But film is mm. so crazy expensive to buy and to develop. And the crazy thing is, is when you're filming on film like we did, you have no idea if what you're doing is actually even going to turn out. You have to take that film and put it in a reel, or I mean put it in a case and then send it off to get developed and just hope and pray that once you get it back that what you filmed actually looks okay. So it's, um, hmm. it's, a, it's a tougher process than it, than it is now. It's, um, it's crazy how everything now is digital. It's Basketball, that film that you mentioned before, that was actually the very last film that Universal Studios shot on 35 millimeter. Everything oh, thereafter wow. was actually shot on digital. So, huh. yeah, I, I started with film and then um, had a really glorious moment in basketball with film, and, and that was it. There's no mm-hmm. more film now, pretty much. It's all just too pricey to do. And it's yeah. not really uh, not really effective if you want to know what you just did. It's, it takes too long for the turnaround. So digital has just come so far. I mean, mm-hmm. we were experimenting with video and stuff back in college, but everybody was really gung-ho about film. You know, video was kind of poo-pooed in a way. It was like, it was just kind of like this fringe thing that was done for maybe art projects, but it wasn't mm-hmm. considered a really valid um, tool at that time. So things have changed quite a bit because I also learned how to edit film on a big steam deck machine, which is literally yeah. cutting and slicing strips of film and gluing it together with tape. And, That's awesome. And I learned how to use a big steam deck machine, which is not, it's a completely obsolete device now. So a lot huh. of what I learned isn't even necessary anymore. So it's it's kind of sad in a way. When I look back at it, I'm like, shit, I learned a bunch of shit that doesn't even matter anymore. But I did <laughs> well, get a great it's, it's, understanding of film history, so that was cool. Well, it matters yeah. to me because I was I, it, my title of my show is Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches, but for 20 years mm-hmm. I was an archivist with the National Archives and Records Administration, so it's actually a oh, job okay. for me. And cool. 
so we had machines like that and duplicators for film because we needed it to this day. They still use it for to make copies of of reels. You know, we got the entire, you know, movie phone, you know, the movie phone news collection, you know, movie tone. Mm-hmm. What is that called? You know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, maybe you don't. The past, past I don't. I don't know. It, I can. You know, the, the news reels. Wait, back I don't know. The, I'm, the word is a, is escaping me. Describe it again. I, you know, the, the news reels. You go to the movie theater and there'd be a news reel before your film. Movie tone. <laughs> movie tone. Yeah. So that's what I thought I said. Well, maybe I didn't. Okay. And past okay. and past and the past collection, which is like really important. Um, you know, okay, past nice. news reels. Um, so um, and and I also I noticed when I was, I was listening to some other podcasts, you actually got to see Nightmare Alley on Silver Nitrate. Yeah, Ooh. that was a really cool experience. It was over at the Egyptian Theater, which is a really beautiful old classic theater in Hollywood. It's actually one of the very first theaters. It um, it actually premiered Ben Hur. Ben Hur was there, and actually the mm, the yeah. whole Egyptian motif they had there was actually designed specifically for the premiere of Ben Hur when it came out. Mm-hmm. And it just looked so cool that they decided to keep it that way, and it still looks that way. But Ben Hur is the reason why that that theater was kind of updated with a Egyptian styling, and it's uh, it's a gorgeous theater, and it's um. Yeah, it was a beautiful opportunity because the silver nitrate, as you know, is is highly combustible. So it's uh, it's a dangerous mm-hmm. dangerous film to even work with. And they actually had to have two very specialized, skilled uh, projectionists there who who knew how to deal with that film because it literally can explode. It gets to wow. it's the craziest. Yeah, thing. we we, we so, had a, a walk-in refrigerator filled with silver nitrate canisters. Uh, yeah, you have to archive. keep it cool. It's so dangerous. Yeah. But you know, you know what's so amazing about watching a film that's on silver nitrate is that, you know, there's going to be there's little uh, scratches and things you'll see and and all sorts of scratches on the film just because it's old and you know it's got some wear and tear on it. But the I mean the image is so beautiful and crystal clear. I mean the blacks are so black and and it's just mm. it's incredible how good it looks. But with the scratches in 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 with it, kind of gave it a weird feeling of almost like listening to. Um, kind of like a vinyl record when you listen to that and you hear the scratches and pops and somehow yeah. that kind of adds something to it, kind of adds to the music in a way. It kind of adds to the whole feeling of it, I think. And and it kind of had that same, I guess that's the best way to compare it. It felt a little bit like that. Like I was watching an old vinyl record, but it was, it, it felt old, I guess is what I'm trying wow. to say. And it had a, it felt like I was watching something historical and that kind of added something to it. And, such a beautiful movie. You can actually watch the original for free um, on YouTube. You can check it out. And it's uh, a great film by Tyrone Power. He was an amazing yeah. star back in the 40s. He was like – he was kind of like the Tom Cruise of the 1940s. He was mostly doing like action movies. He was like the swashbuckler kind of guy. And when he did Nightmare Alley, he really wanted – wanted that to be a showpiece for him to really display finally his dramatic acting skills because he the public really I mean he was very popular but they really just kind of regarded him as an entertainment piece he wasn't really necessarily considered a great dramatic actor yet so he was really hoping and banking on that film to showcase himself that way but the crazy thing is is when it came out in 1947 which is right when you know we just gotten out of World War II and America wasn't really open to seeing depressing stories. They wanted to see 
musicals. They wanted to see bright and beautiful stories that were more uplifting because they'd gone such through hell with World War II. They wanted to see their climate for the film was just not open to seeing something so dark and kind of crazy, that, like Nightmare Alley. So unfortunately, the movie tanked. It really did not do well. And it really devastated Tyrone Power. And he thought for mm. sure it was going to do better, which is kind of crazy now. You look now at the results of, of the new updated version of Nightmare Alley, and there again, it didn't do well. I mean, its opening weekend had like, I think, $3 million. So it tanked at the office, or the, wow. office office, the same way that the original did, which is kind of crazy. Which, but hmm. I think that in today's film climate, we certainly would have been more open, I think, to a, a dark, cool story like that. But, you know, the public was, again, just looking for big action. Like now we're looking at Marvel movies and, uh, you know, yeah. big spectacle films. And it's kind of – it's unfortunate because although I do enjoy films that are big spectacles like that, I was actually talking to some people about that recently, and they were asking me, what, what do you think makes a cult film a cult film? And why does a cult film stand out above something like a Marvel movie, which I, I know none of those movies will become cult films, and this is the reason why. A cult film needs to be something, regardless of its budget, that has heart. It has to have something – You, the author and the director and the actors, they really need to love what they're doing. They need to love the characters. And when you're a writer, you need to absolutely love those characters because if you don't, the audience isn't going to love them either. And what makes a cult film a cult film is that connection with the audience when they watch those movies. And each new generation that comes across that film, they're not going to be attracted to the spectacle because spectacle – is constantly changing. Um, your reference point on what makes a spectacle a spectacle is going to evolve based on the, uh, um, you know, the the uh, the technology that's available. You know, something that's in 3D now is not going to be so exciting 20 years from now when everybody's just watching virtual reality movies where they're really in the movie. You know, the idea of watching mm -hmm. a 3D movie will seem silly because they can fully get into it now. So spectacle evolves. Your, your, your kinship with that is going to change. But what does not change is your personal attachment to characters and your personal attachment to a story. And that's what makes a cult film a cult film. That's why films like that have longevity. Films like Cannibal the Musical, which was such a low-budget film and silly, but they're all really lovable characters. And there was so much heart and love that was done when, it, when we made it that everybody that sees it now still appreciates it on some level. And I've seen so many stage productions of it too, which is so cool. I've seen everything from like junior high school to high school to college to off-Broadway wow. productions of it. I must have seen at least a dozen different versions of Canada the Musical. I even saw a woman playing the part of, my, of George Noon, which was really interesting. Nice. And I, it just, I just, and it really, it warms my heart to have that happen because I realized that we made something that has legs, you know, it's going to be something that hopefully is still going to be enjoyed in another 10, 20 years, maybe more. Oh yeah. But it's uh yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I just talked for a long time. What was your original question? <laughs> no, but actually you brought it back to your own films and, and I wanted to point that out because a lot of your movies weren't really big hits when they first came out. A good example is Orgasmo, because when uh, yeah. a little bit of a confession time in the late 90s, like 98 or so, um, mm -hmm. uh, there was some bootleg VHSs going around my my home uh -huh. in San Francisco. One of them had mm -hmm. 
and I still own my co- have my copy downstairs. It had three items on, <laughs> and one, two items were the two Spirit of Christmases that uh, shorts that Trey and Matt mm-hmm. made, but the other was a very grainy version uh, version of Orgasmo, and those oh, wow. those a lot of people had those tapes and a lot of people including myself fell in love with orgasmo and was for years and you know it was forever for that movie to finally be released on 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 any kind of for, format uh you know yeah. cannibal was released before orgasmo was uh you know and um you could that was the only way we could see orgasmo and i will not tell you how many people can quote including myself that movie from beginning to end we all became fans of yours because of that film and, and because oh, of that so tape cool. uh, you know and I will tell you though I have made up for the bootleg because I own a copy of Cannibal <laughs> and Musical I own a copy of Orgasmo on, on DVD and I also own well I lost it in the divorce but I had a soundtrack of Orgasmo on vinyl <laughs> oh wow so, that's really cool yeah awesome. but I lost I lost that in the divorce. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, you know what? I know they're still printing them. They have copies of it because actually a, a friend of mine actually sent me a vinyl copy of Orga- or of uh, Cannibal the Musical. And uh, I know that you can get them. I can, I can try to find him and locate him if you want to get another copy. I don't know where exactly oh, that you're at at crust, but that I know it's available. You can, you can get new copies. They're doing new pricings of it. But you know yeah, what's terrible so cool. about Orgasmo? It, it got an NC-17 rating, which is crazy. Actually, no, I think it got an X rating. It's Ooh, crazy because it's yeah, uh, it what? It, yeah, yeah, it, no, you know, that's why you couldn't it get it. Out. Yeah, it was not because of that rating. We were not able to advertise it anywhere. No newspapers would hold Great. that kind of an advertisement. Nobody actually would advertise it, and we <sighs> couldn't find distribution from it for it for the longest time. And it was was just it was crazy. It basically got lost, and. It's nuts because literally the exact same year that that movie came out was the same time that There's Something About Mary came out. And if you remember, that movie actually has a guy jacking off in the bathroom. You see his balls caught in his zipper. You see cum in in his hair or in the, his friend's hair. It's like there's some pretty gnarly imagery in that movie. And Orgasmo doesn't have any nudity. I mean we see guys' butts, and that's it. There's not even boobs. And it's crazy because there's really nothing in the movie that's hardcore. And yet something about Mary was a big hit and just so much more hardcore than anything we had. Wow. The worst you had was some naughty language. That's about it. Uh, that's you about know. it, yeah. You see rubber sex toys and naughty language, but that's it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, to this day, I, I, I still reference the Aspuff Twins. Uh, (laughs) you know what's amazing I have a funny story I have a funny story about the Aspect Twins while we were filming actually uh, Trey and I he he actually wanted to take them to Disneyland so we actually kind of went on a double date with the Aspect Twins to Disneyland and while we were there they uh, Trey decided that it would be funny to tell them before we got on each ride that somebody had died on that ride before. <laughs> so we, like literally before each ride, we're like, okay, now you, you want to make sure you're really seated well and keep your seatbelt on because <laughs> three kids have already died on this ride. And they were like, what? No. And I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, this is dangerous as fuck. I know it's Disneyland and they don't want you to know about it, but 
Okay, we're getting on another ride here. We're going on the Matterhorn. I want you guys to really stay seated because an old man and his daughter died on this ride. So after about four, after about four or five rides of us saying, "Watch out!" because somebody fucking died on this ride, they were both of them turned to each other and they're like, "Wait a minute!" And they turn to us and they go, "You say somebody die on every ride," and we're like, "All right, you're right. The game is up. You're totally right." We're totally fucking with you, and I'm sorry. And they thought it was funny, finally, but they were, like, really terrified for a while. (laughs) And and maybe that's why it got the NC-17 rating, even though it didn't deserve it, was because you had real porn stars in the movies. But I know that for a fact that porn stars love doing mainstream films because they they get to give lines, they get the catering. You know, I don't know if you Mm -hmm. had catering on Orgasmo. I don't know what the budget was. but uh, Yeah, we did. Yeah, it was minimal catering. Yeah, so you know, it, it, they, they, I've like, like a lot of, I've talked to a few strippers and, and uh, sex workers that worked on Game of Thrones, and they were like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> you know, they love, they love working <laughs> on mainstream movies, and so yeah, I it was. It, you got to work with well, Casey Lane. What was that like? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was gonna say meeting the porn stars was really very surreal, and Chasey Lane was actually really beautiful. Um, she went through some hard times, so she's. She's had a rough life since then, but when she was working on that movie, I couldn't believe how beautiful she was in person. And literally, when she would show up on set, she'd go straight into the makeup trailer, and they would do her all up in makeup. And I always thought that she looked less pretty with all the makeup on. She actually was gorgeous Mm. just as a natural person. She was incredible, but she really felt the need to really glam it up. But uh, it was crazy because being around them, and people like Ron Jeremy, who unfortunately um, is not yeah. not very popular. He's had some really seedy experiences, but he actually, at the time, um, he invited me and a few of the other actors to go visit an actual porn set. So we were like, okay, yeah, let's check this out. Why not? Of course, this is research, right? So we went to a film set and actually went to a porn set with him. And they did actually have craft services. <laughs> we were sitting there at a table. What? It was the most insane fucking thing. Me and three other actors from Orgasmo were standing there at this craft service table, like eating potato chips, watching huh. people having sex. And uh, the thing is, the scene that we were watching was um, – it was supposed to be like a fake game show. And uh, there was like these contestants that were supposed to be answering questions, and if they got them wrong, they – they had to have sex with each other. I don't even remember what the storyline. It was so stupid. But they basically were – they had to fuck right in front of us, and we were just kind of like, oh, my God. And we saw how mechanical it was. But there was this one guy who we called the Sweaty Pirate because he had his hair pulled back. It was real greasy, pulled back in a long ponytail, and he had these two big gold hoop earrings. And he could not get a hard on to save his life. He was, like, pulling on his on – his, junk like it was like like a rubber band like oh my me God. and the other guys were actually kind of concerned for him we're like this guy's gonna break his shit like what the fuck is he doing he could not get a heart on so ron jeremy was standing there with us just observing he wasn't in the movie he was just standing there watching this and he got so pissed off he was wearing sweatpants this is the most surreal thing i've ever noticed or ever seen he gets mad and he's like god damn it he pulls down his pants and had this raging heart on and jumped in the scene and just started having sex with the girl. And they just went ahead and filmed it and made that part of the movie. And me and the other actors were like, 
what the fuck? Like, does this guy just always walk around with a boner? Like, how does this even happen? It was the most insane thing I've ever seen. And But it also wow. made me realize that porn is really fucking gross. Like, it didn't make me want to watch any more porn after that. I was like, man, this is just so greasy and weird. Like, all the people were just so, like, seedy. And the unfortunate thing is that a lot of them do tons of drugs. Like, they're really a lot of messed up people. And it's not a very – it's not a healthy environment. And so it really kind of left me feeling like, man, I don't ever want to see that again. <laughs> and so we yeah. went back to the set, and it kind of changed all of our perspectives about all of it in a way, which is kind of kind of crazy because the movie became this seedy thing in the public with it getting this NC-17 rating when, when the reality was we were trying to be as harmless as we could and tiptoe about around the insanity of it and actually saw how crazy it really was but didn't showcase any of that. And and yet we're the ones that kind of were like scolded in a way for it. So it's kind of weird hmm. how that turned out. Yeah. Is, is that the same uh, movie set that Trey and Matt said they had to blow bubbles on? No, no, they weren't there. Oh, okay. Trey and Matt didn't go to that. No, okay, mean, so that no was a, they didn't that go to that. That was a different one. Because they talked about yeah, going to a I porn set and then being, and they said they're going to use you, and they're like, how? And then they used them to blow bubbles in a scene. So, <laughs> <laughs> that was it. So, I wasn't there uh, for that, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what set they went to, but I, I'm sure it happened. <laughs> I'm sure it did too. But uh, I mean, obviously, you, Matt, and Trey had a very close relationship for many, many years. But you've let's let's talk about your breakouts. And one of the things that caught my eye in your IMDb page that I was not expecting is that we are huge makeup whores in on the sexy witches we love makeup effects artists we really appreciate yeah. them but it turns out you actually worked for a period of time as a purchaser for k and b yeah and Is you that- know even before that yeah i was their head purchaser for seven years it was an amazing job i actually had a company car i had my own office i just it was fucking cool i got to go to the set and deliver cool things and i purchased basically all the art all the uh, art supplies for each of the art departments within the studio. So I got to see so much cool stuff from beginning to end. And before that, even before I got that job, I actually did, I was a makeup artist. I actually had credits on a few different films. I actually made all of the uh, Frankenstein prosthetic appliances for the Van Helsing movie. And I also made all of and I also made all of the prosthetic appliances, which were the whip wounds for Jesus for passion of the Christ. And I also worked, and I also did a, a fabrication for the uh, uh, Mel Gibson movie Apocalypto. And then uh, there were a bunch of movies I worked on, but those are some of the cooler ones. And it's uh, it's something that I did for God, probably about four or five years before I got the uh, the purchasing gig. But it was because I'm 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 a huge fan of monster makeup. I love Lon Chaney. I love all the Universal horror films. So. Uh, a fan, a really talented artist, actually invited me to work over a captive audience originally. And so I, I just learned the craft by just hanging out and just trying stuff. And they were really cool about teaching me how to make appliances and learning how silicone can work and how that works versus foam. And it was such a great experience because I really got to see how all the things that I love watching on film, how that's actually made. And because of that, that then led into the job that I had as a purchaser because I, I had such a 
love of all of it that I was like, when I got offered that job at KMB, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do this for as long as I can. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a crazy thing because a lot of those jobs now are being lost to uh, digital effects. You know, we'll have a lot of digital work now, but thankfully there's stuff like, you know, the Mandalorian that's kind of rejuvenating that. And it's, uh, I think the public has kind of spoken well about it and said, you know, we want to see real shit. We want to see tangible items, which I think is always going to register as truer and, and more heartfelt ultimately on film. There again, it's the, uh, the spectacle of computer imagery is, is always kind of cool. It's always going to look interesting, but there's just something about an actual thing that's there being filmed that just adds weight to whatever it is you're doing, I think. Ray Harryhausen said the reason why CG will never quite be like the audience will quite not quite love it as much as practical effects is because even stop animation, even though it's it it you your you know it's not real, your brain tells you it's a real thing moving in a real space. CG does not right. move with the frame; it moves on its own. So your brain Correct. tells you yeah. it's not real. So I, I yep. and if Ray Harryhausen really, says stuff like that, you know, it's it's word is gone. No, that's so. totally that's exactly true. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really yeah, it's exactly true. And I was really I love Ray Harryhausen. He's one of my favorites. He's God, I love Ray all Harryhausen the stuff. Ray Harryhausen is so important stuff. to me. I took my box sets to the birthing room with me. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't end up watching you know, I them. Actually, I was kind of busy. <laughs> I got to meet. <laughs> I got to meet him actually a few times. I went to some signings and had him autograph some DVDs and things for me, and uh, awesome. I was just so happy to meet him because he just such, he was such a legend. And I really, I don't consider him necessarily just a um, stop motion animator. I I consider him an, an actor, because if you really study and look at what he's done with the characters he created, it's him in those characters. Every little yeah. movement he's making and all the choices that he's making with those characters, that's like an actor's choice. So he's actually putting his own heart and soul within those movements. And so when you see those things moving and, and all the movements that they're making, you have to remember that all of those were choices by one man. And it's essentially him. It's an extension of him acting in that film. So whenever you see something that's sculpted within the film that he's done, I, I, I look at it as, oh, there's Ray Harryhausen starring in this film, because it is. It mm. is him. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. And I got to meet him once, just once, but it was amazing. And shaking his hand was like they were sculptors' hands. They were the most amazing hands I've ever mm. shook in my life. I got to see a special yeah. screening of, of uh, an, on a brand-new projector at, at the Jersey, which is this movie palace in Jersey City um, in, in New Jersey. Uh, it was just an amazing moment in my life. I dropped everything and I was at work. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to this. <laughs> so, yeah, awesome. that's an so amazing it, experience. So, um, and obviously, let's let's segue into Nightmare Alley, um, and, and you got to be in the, the makeup chair. I mean, obviously, you've done it before. I've seen pictures of you in The Walking Dead. Um, so yeah, and, got and to be we, a zombie. And, and yeah. Nathan actually has a lot of connections, to because he's in Atlanta. A lot of the effects guys that work at Netherworld, which is a haunt down there, way famous haunt, and, and Nathan used to work at that haunt, um, also work makeup effects on Walking Dead or other things, because everyone in Atlanta works on Walking Dead. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. um, 
so you were in the acting chair, uh, the, the cha- you were in the, uh, the makeup chair this time, and you actually got to be a freak in the, in the Carney show. So how long did it take yeah. for you to get your Fifi, the bird girl makeup on? And then how much screen time do you actually get in the movie? Because you're kind of a blink and miss it kind of an actor in the background, but you're so, yeah, every character is so important in that movie. Yeah, you know that that movie was a very crazy experience for me. It it initially started with uh, the head makeup artist Mike Hill, who's really really gifted. He he also did all the makeup and creature designs for The Shape of Water, and he was nominated mm-hmm. for a British uh, British Academy Award for that. And he uh, he's incredible. He's the most gifted makeup artist I've ever met. But he was he's a friend of mine that we I've known him for years, and he was he was basically given a list of different freaks that uh, Guillermo del Toro really loved from the movie Freaks. It was a Todd Browning film. Um, Freaks is a film Mm -hmm. that was directed, Todd Browning directed the original Dracula with Bela Lugosi. Yeah, we know. uh, Okay, yeah, of course you do. But he he really loved that movie. He actually really ultimately wanted at some point to remake the movie Freaks. But when he got the script to do Nightmare Alley, and when he heard the book and when he was writing it, he was deciding that it might be a clever way for him to be able to incorporate some of the characters he loved from Freaks and make them part of the characters and side characters and supporting roles within Nightmare Alley. And it totally made sense because ultimately it's a story about this guy who is really deep down inside a very ugly person while he's ironically surrounded by people that on the surface look bizarre and possibly ugly to some people but the irony is that he's actually uglier than all of them because of his loss of soul. And so it was really cool the way the original script was written. I, uh, when I went in, Mike was like, I think he could play this character. He, gave me, he actually had a couple of characters for me to do, so we did some makeup tests. And uh, it was basically an audition. I had to put on the makeup. We took a bunch of photos, and then I had to do video. And so I actually had to act, and so I had to act like CC. The Bird Girl, which originally was Cuckoo the Bird Girl, which is a real woman by the name of Minnie Woolsey, and she was actually a a performer on Coney Island until the age of 83. And she was one of the characters I really loved in the original movie Freaks. And when I first saw her, I was like, oh, God, I love her. She's just so unusual and cool. And so this was a chance for me to actually kind of give her a hug in a way. I was like, this is a chance for me to actually be her and, and present her in a different way in the movie. And so when I first got the script, I, they, they hired me. They, they loved the makeup test, and they're like, yes, you're going to play Fifi the Bird Girl. So I was so excited because when I first got the script, I had 18 scenes. Like I had a very substantial supporting role. I, I had scenes with Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, Bradley Cooper, yeah. uh, David Strathern. It was fucking cool as shit. I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm, I'm going to be acting with Willem Dafoe, who's like one of my all-time idols. But the crazy thing is, is once we got there, once I was in Toronto, I was in Toronto for two months, and they put me in an apartment there. And after we did a makeup test with, uh, with costuming, once costuming got involved, even though my character was, had 18 scenes, after the, uh, the first initial costume fitting, one of the executive producers – and I, want, I don't want to say exactly who it is because I don't know specifically, but I was informed that basically some creatives – other than Guillermo del Toro, mm. decided that the freaks were not really necessary components of the story, and they might be visually oh. distracting 
So I was um, devastated. They literally cut almost all the freaks out of the movie, and I was only given one scene at the end. But thank God my lawyer was awesome and negotiated kind of a pay-or-play contract for me. So even though I only worked one day, I got paid for two months. So I joke now with my friends about what my rate is now for one day. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like the highest paid actor you've ever met. I mean, basically for working one day. And uh, so it really devastated me, though. I was really heartbroken because oh. I had my heart set on it. And I was, I mean, I've never been suicidal before, but it took me to a level of despair that I don't oh. ever want to go to again. It was so much for me to pull up my pants and be like, fuck this, I got to march ahead and, and just carry through. And if they told me that I was only going to be in one scene, I still would have been excited about it. I just needed to essentially change my perspective about the whole thing. But what I did do is during that time, even though I worked one day, I got to visit the set and watch him film. I got to actually meet Willem Dafoe. I talked to him. He was so fucking cool. Thank God. They always tell you not to meet your idols, uh-huh. but I don't think that's true because a lot of them are fantastic people, and you won't necessarily be disappointed because he was so down to earth and so nice. And uh-huh. I got to, I, it was a great experience. And actually, when I went up to introduce myself, he already knew who I was. He was like, you did basketball. He's like, you worked with David Zucker. <laughs> And I was like, holy shit, awesome. yeah. And the reason the reason why he knew that and why that mattered to him was that he told me that he's from Wisconsin. He went to the University of Wisconsin, and he was in a theater group called the Kentucky Fried Theater Company. And I was before they made the Kentucky Fried movie, which is a sketch comedy film what? that David Zucker did. But this is the craziest thing. Willem Dafoe told me that the, the whole reason why he started acting, he was 15 years old at the time. It was before he was in college, but they had the group in college, but he was part of their theater theater company, and he acted with them. He did crazy theater stuff at the age of 15, and he said that he acted in scenes with David Zucker. He said that was when it first, like, sparked his interest. So he's like, we have this in common. We both worked with David Zucker, and I was like, holy shit, I never would have known that in a million years. I was like, this is incredible, and while he's telling me this, he's got these, like, crazy, like, glowing blue eyes. They're like sapphires in his head. And I was like looking at him thinking, I could never lie to you. You would know for sure if I was lying. It felt like he was like looking through my soul. And I was like, now I know why you play Jesus in Passion of, in, uh, in The Last Temptation of Christ, that Martin Scorsese movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, of course you play Jesus. You're like fucking Jesus. You look like Jesus in person. <laughs> and I was like, you're, you are Jesus. I was like, holy shit. Wow. But he was so cool. He was such a nice down-to-earth guy. And so that was a really beautiful experience because even though I didn't get to act with him, I had that personal connection moment. And it was really awesome. Mm-hmm. It made me feel like, yeah, this guy's fucking cool. He's a really good guy. But then I also took advantage of the time that I had there, and I wrote my own screenplay. I wrote a feature-length film that's a murder mystery that I'm actually now doing. I'm, I've got it in pre-production. I've got some initial investors, and we're hoping nice. to actually film it in the spring of next year. So I Excellent. made the most of that moment. So, yeah. And, you know, the thing well, is, even though I'm only in that one scene at the end, it's still okay to me because ultimately I look at the whole thing as this giant painting, and uh, I'm a brushstroke within that painting. I'm still involved in it. I'm still a part mm. of that whole thing. So it's still okay. cool with me. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a disappointment, but it's still a great thing to be involved in. Right. Well, except for when when Tamara and De- uh, Deverell, who is the most, and Brad Gorant, who are up for art direction, win and don't get to go on stage live during the Oscars, 
anyway, yeah, I'm still yeah, I'm very, very bitter There's about that. People. There's a lot of people upset about that. Yeah, yeah it is pretty no, lousy, it's but... not cool. I mean, it's not, this movie is, you know, I, I, I thought it was a very solid movie. I, I, and it was so funny because, you know, I watched the remake and I watched it. I was like, I know this story. Why do I know this story? Why do I know this story? <laughs> it turns out my parents showed me the original back in the day. And that's how I knew it because uh, they were huge. Oh, wow. Well, okay. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I, and so I was like, oh, okay. But um, we're huge Carney fans, so of course all of us wanted to see, you know, we're, we're in the, you know, professional wrestling too. You know, Marks are, and Carneys are very, you know, overlap big time there. Uh, so yeah. I, you know, uh, it, it's so cool that you got to do, even if if you you had a, a, a diminished role, you got to be on a Guillermo del Toro set. I mean, and see yeah. like the coolest. Uh, fun house that'll never exist and you know yeah. and you know and, and you got to meet William Defoe I mean really seriously like how does that work uh, you know I, I, yeah. I couldn't even like I'm hard I'm geeking out just talking to you talking about William Defoe I've been commanding this interview quite a bit because believe me I, I have so many questions like we could talk for hours about the drunken commentary on 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 Cannibal the Musical, for example, that is like the my single favorite commentary track of any commentary track in the history of commentary tracks. It is well, you know what's funny? Is that, I don't know how it happened, but apparently they they it was part of a I guess they had some contest. They it won some awards, but it was up it was up against Fight Club for best commentary. And Fight Club won. I actually have never heard the commentary for Fight Club, but apparently it's incredible. We were actually we came in second commentary. place. Oh, you do? Um, okay. But yeah, we literally yeah we just got wasted. We just watched the whole movie together and literally got <laughs> drunker and drunker and drunker. And by the end of it, we were all completely legitimately shit faced. It's brilliant. <laughs> It's, it's it is from, really brilliant. Yeah, uh, let, let me throw it out to my sexy witch crew because I'm sure they have questions. Let's we'll start with Aaron because I've been like neglecting him a bit, and for some reason I can't get Nathan to wake up. So um, <laughs> I'm awake. Well, no, I, oh. I I've got plenty of questions, but I don't feel neglected at all. Um, okay. Yeah, I I I, I was going to echo uh, what the head haunter said about how much. Uh, my fellow nerds and I quoted uh, all those hit lines from Orgasmo, and I guess maybe yeah. my favorite is Cock Rocket. Um, <laughs> I just, I have to ask, uh, first off, that looks like a hell of a lot more than just a squib. So what the hell was that like doing that first off? Yeah, it was actually a little bit scary because I thought they were going to blow my dick off because it was like fire coming out. <laughs> Right. That was not. That was a little bit scary, to be honest with you. But you know, they had it on like I think there was like a a fishing line that was attached because they wanted to make sure it would shoot off in a straight line and not be dangerous and hit a crew member. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a little weird for sure. Yeah. Wow. And and then I I was reading uh, personal stuff about you. Um, I'm I'm now following you on uh, Twitter, and it, it said you're a, a taco. For taco aficionado, I forget. Yeah, I love tacos. Yeah, it's like my favorite food. I love tacos. There's uh, well, yeah, I, I I love fish tacos especially, which I didn't even really discover yeah. until I moved to LA. And uh, yeah, I love tacos. 
Have you I tried Danny Trejo or anything? Is Danny Trejo has a taco truck out there? Have you tried it yet? He has more we'll than that. More restaurants. Yeah. Yeah, they're like you can go to a Danny Trejo restaurant and get tacos. They're fantastic. Yeah. They're like incredibly good. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay, and then the other thing I wanted to ask and you about. And Danny Trejo, because I'm sorry to interrupt, but Danny oh, no, Trejo is who I've met also. I, I worked with Danny Trejo, actually, on another movie called National Lampoon TV, the movie. And uh, he's another person that is so cool and nice and down to earth when you meet him in person. He uh, He's a very nice guy. And you know what else? He's shorter than me. I was amazed. Yes, I was like, wait a minute. Oh yeah. I can picture him being this big, scary, domineering guy. Yeah. He's literally <laughs> shorter than me. And I was like, wow, they must work angles with a camera. Hamilton and I have separately met Danny Trejo. I met Danny Trejo and Bruce Campbell in the same day, which is a whole story I could tell you about. But um, when I went to house Danny Trejo, I could look him directly in the eye. I'm five one. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Yeah. He's a cool dude. I like him a lot. Right on. Uh, The other thing I wanted to ask you about, because I am also a uh, toy collector, uh, I oh, was yeah. wondering uh, what your favorite vintage thing is in your own collection, and if you have a holy grail. Uh, you know what? I do, actually. You know, I, I love I love toys, especially from the 70s and 80s, because I'm a 70s kid. Mm. So I really I, I enjoy collecting stuff that I wanted as a kid but didn't have. But I did actually have a lot of, like, Mego figures. Um, Mego was a company oh, yeah. that still is mm-hmm. now doing their re-releasing stuff, but I loved all the old early Mego line stuff, like the Planet of the Apes and all the superhero stuff. And I, uh, yeah, there was also another company, Matchbox, actually was doing action figures kind of in the same styling called uh, the Fighting Furies, and they were like these pirates. And they're really wow. expensive now, but I, I bought those. I have a couple of those in mint condition. Um, I have a bunch of uh, Star Trek figures in mint condition still on the on the cards. And if you ask me what my holy grail, what my favorite item that I have is, maybe I actually uh, I have the six million dollar man action figure, which was really popular in the 70s. But I actually had it autographed by Lee Majors because I actually wow. worked with Lee Majors on the on uh, National Lampoon's TV the movie, and <laughs> we actually worked together. I actually acted in two different scenes with him, which was a surreal thing too. And that was crazy also because I, I, when we finished the movie, the director of it knew that I loved Lee Majors. So he was like, hey, he's like, I'm actually going to go over to Lee's, Lee's house because he wants to see the movie. And so I was like, holy shit, I want to go over there with you. So we went over together to Lee Majors' house. He lives in this really – it's actually a condo. He lived in a really beautiful condo in Beverly Hills with his wife. And when we got in there, his wife had made all these pizzas. She had cookies and, and cupcakes and pizza and i was like this is like the ultimate like kids like dream i was like if i was like 10 years old right now i'd be losing my shit i'm like eating pizza with lee majors and cookies and cupcakes and i was just hanging out watching this movie with him on his couch like trying not to stare at him just thinking holy fuck this is like the most surreal cool thing ever but i brought my my six million dollar man action figure with me and he autographed it for me, so that was really cool. So that's that's one of my prized possessions. But you know what? I also I love all the Star Wars stuff. I'm really into Star Wars, and <clears throat> I love the old original Millennium Falcon. But you know what's crazy is it's not worth as much as the newer one that was with the Legacy Collection. 
you can get like a like an old original Millennium Falcon for like maybe a couple hundred bucks. But the Millennium Collection one or the Legacy Collection, mm-hmm. if you which I have, I have it in mint condition. I haven't opened up the box. They're worth like almost eight hundred dollars now. So it's crazy that that one's worth so much more than the original one, huh. which is kind of unusual. I've got all of the Watchmen series figures. I've, I'm nice. a huge fan of the Watchmen of the comic, but also the movie. And they came out with these really cool figures that uh, little eight-inch figures. And I have all of those, and I have so many things. I, I'm looking at my walls right now <laughs> covered in toys. Like I, my office is basically a toy showroom. I just I love toys, and it's. It's the same thing for me as looking at like artwork. If I had paintings or sculptures on yeah. the wall, I get the same enjoyment. It's it's art, so it's uh, yeah, I love it. I love all of it. Nathan has Good a very people. extensive um, toy collection himself. A lot of horror stuff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> my my office is a toy showroom too. So oh yeah, it. that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's it makes you feel good when you're in there. Mhm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Raven, obviously you brought him in. Do you have any other questions for our guest? Um, So usually when we have a guest on, I'll try to, the day of, watch something I've seen of theirs before and then something I've never seen before. And the thing that I watched today was something that I have never seen before, Mm -hmm. was the first two episodes of Time Warped. Oh yeah, that was a it was a kids show that Trey was trying to sell for a while. Trey and Matt were trying to pitch that around. And they actually pitched it to uh, to MTV and some different networks, but it didn't get picked up. But yeah, that was yeah. Uh, that was stuff we filmed out in Colorado, and basically all the same people that were in Cannibal the Musical helped out on that. Yeah, it's uh, really cool to to recognize stuff from Cannibal and different actors and extras and clips. And Tiny Tim's, and honestly, I think yeah. it is really—it's um, like a Gen Xers kind of comedy to me, um, yeah. because it reminds me of the, those shows that were out when, yeah, I was born in '79. So those Saturday morning cartoons that were trying to be um, uh, yeah. trying to put fun like into education, stuff. right? But then there's also just a lot of weird stuff that kids nor adults will get. <laughs> yeah, totally. There's weird silliness happening, and, and I love that. And I think if, yeah. it, if it was proposed today, it would do really well. Um, I think so. I think there would be an audience yeah. for it. Yeah, absolutely. I just really enjoyed it. I found it on YouTube today, and I was like, this is amazing. Um, and the oh, other thing awesome. I just <laughs> – yeah, um, I wanted to bring up that – I'm not sure if this information is on your IMDb, but for the rest of the panel, if they don't know, I do remember you saying that you were the first zombie to be shown on The Walking Dead. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's really cool because, you know, the very first episode with the, the bicycle girl, which is the first zombie that you see that's kind of cut in half and she's mm-hmm. crawling, um, mm-hmm. Greg Nicotero, his very first directing job was actually directing me as a zombie, and it's a prequel episode to the very first episode on uh, on The Walking Dead because you get to see who the the bicycle girl is before she transforms into a zombie. She's this woman who's in her car, and there's a zombie attack, and she's freaking out, and she actually crashes her car and then is wandering around trying to get help, and 
I am the very first zombie that you see in that film, and I attack the bicycle girl. So I am technically the very first zombie in the entire series. And you can watch that episode if you get the box set of season two of The Walking Dead. It's one of the special features. They have all the prequel episodes on there. So you can see me on the on the season two box set. Do you think that you're the cause, like you're the reason, that your zombie is the reason that all the other zombies happened? Or do you think there was another zombie that made you a zombie? No, there's some, yeah, I don't know exactly what caused it. Um, but no, I'm not the, the sole reason. No, in fact, I had this crazy, like, gnarly death scene just before. I didn't actually get to uh, to bite the bicycle girl. I was attacking her, but she gets eventually attacked by a bunch of other zombies. But I had this crazy death scene where I'm just about to get her, and this guy opens up his front door with a shotgun and blows my head off. And it was, like, so fucking gnarly. It's like a cool death scene. <laughs> like, I, I was actually really proud of that moment because I was like, not only do I get to, like, finally be like this cool monster on film. I get to be almost like a Frankenstein kind of thing, but I had a really yeah. badass death scene too. So I yeah, mean, it was, it was a gone. cool experience. I always say there's no better way to end a talent reel than with a head explosion. So I think that's just great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it was cool. I had fun doing that. Yeah, it was, uh, awesome. it's a, you were asking me before how long it took to make up both the, uh, the zombie makeup that I did and also Fifi the bird girl. It took about two hours to put on and about an hour to take off. Oh, wow. That's not too bad. Most uh, people say it takes about yeah. four hours in the chair. So two, you're lucky. So. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I mean, I was able to handle that. You know, and the thing yeah. is, I, uh, I think the worst part of it was actually having the contacts that I wore because they were these full sclera contacts that cover your full your whole eyeball, but they were like these milky, frosted over contacts, and it literally felt like I had a rock in my eye. Like it was really, it was so fucking uncomfortable, and it made me almost blind. It was like trying to look through a swimming pool filled with milk. It's like insane. I could see kind of like dark shapes and shadows in front of me, but I really couldn't see what was going on. So it wow. was, was kind of crazy, yeah. I second you, man. Those contacts suck. <laughs> yeah, they're not fun. Yeah, it's not a cool thing. And because, and they were a little thicker than the other ones usually because they had the thick, filmy uh, uh, paint on them. So I think they're even thicker than some of the usual scholars that are used. And, it, yeah, it's not pleasant. Well, you so, couldn't tell. Um, I never went, like, that's an uncomfortable zombie. So <laughs> <laughs> That zombie looks really uncomfortable. Maybe that's why he's yelling. Yeah. But I was, like, <laughs> so I was pissed off that his eyes hurt. All these zombies' Nathan, eyes must really hurt. <laughs> Nathan is no um, uh, stranger to uh, hardcore makeups because, like I said, uh, you know, as you know, most of it's filmed in Atlanta, and he's an Atlanta boy. A lot of his friends work on The Walking Dead, or, or Walking Dead Jason, I like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you have any questions for a fellow makeup geek like ourselves? You know, the Walking Dead's an entire industry here. First of all, I just want to say that I'm still over here cracking up <laughs> that your filmography includes both Orgasmo and Passion of the Christ. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good mix. I'm trying to keep things balanced. Right. That's awesome. Now, I I didn't realize that you had as many credits as you do as a makeup artist yourself. Um, what would you say is the 
the makeup that has shown up on screen that you are most proud of? Ooh, good question. I think the Frankenstein in uh, Van Helsing was pretty cool. I actually really like it. You know that. I liked it. I had fun making that movie, and I'd really, I had such a great time when I finally got to see it on screen. When I got to see the actor put all that stuff together on and become, you know, this full-bodied person. You know, I'd just been looking at all these body parts and assembling things, but then to finally see it all actually on the actor, and then him actually becoming Frankenstein or the Frankenstein monster was really kind of a magical experience. I really, it was awesome. When I was sitting in the theater watching the, the screening, the cast and crew screening, I was so happy. It was, it, it made me happier than anything I've seen Pretty myself odd. do acting wise, because I was like, I was like, holy shit, I made that. I was like, it was so fun just to look at, you know, I mean, they obviously, there were amazing sculptors and people that designed the, the guy, but I actually got to make the actual pieces and fabricate them, the stuff that was actually used and put on him. So I was part of that whole process. So I was really, really, really proud of it, actually. I was having a soft spot for Van Helsing because that's also that movie was the reason we got our first good box sets of the Universal Monsters. Oh, okay. Uh, we we're all huge proponents of the Universal Monsters here, um, and um, actually, we always try to talk to um, what is your favorite uh, horror. If you have a horror. You obviously said you love Universal Monsters. What's your favorite? Yeah, my all-time favorite film? Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh. Good choice. Creature <laughs> from the Black Lagoon is my all-time favorite for sure. My um, favorite creature and my favorite movie. Millicent Patrick is an unsung makeup art- artist, and she outdid herself in that movie. And everyone, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. Westmoreland gets all the glory, but. Millicent, there's a documentary that was supposed to come out pre-COVID, and it never did. So we're looking for that. So we, we all love mm-hmm. Matter of fact, Nathan's uh, handle is uh, Preacher from the Black Lagoon. Yes. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm ordained when I, do, uh, when I do weddings, I go by the Preacher from the Black Lagoon. Oh, that's awesome. That's totally cool. <laughs> yeah, I love the Creature. It's such a cool design. Well, you Actually, know, yeah. when Guillermo del Toro, when he did The Shape of Water, um, that was actually his Creature from the Black Lagoon movie because he actually yeah. wanted to do a remake of Creature from the Black Lagoon. And uh, instead of doing a straight-up remake, he just kind of kind of retold the story in a different way. But it's, it's, it is really essentially his Creature from the Black Lagoon film. Right. Yeah. So what, what can we see you in in the near future? Do you have anything up the pipe? I do, yeah. I've actually got a few different things. I've actually been cast in a few different films that are – coming up soon i can't really talk about them quite yet but i've got three different Mm. features that i've been cast in and possibly a cartoon that i'm doing voices on and then my movie that i'm really excited about the film that i wrote is uh it's called the stylus and it's uh it's a murder mystery about an la detective who is solving a uh a double homicide in hollywood with the help of a homeless man who claims to be a time traveler and also thinks that he possibly is responsible for the death of Edgar Allan Poe. And the story takes off from there. It's, it's real bizarre. It's, uh, people have told me it feels kind of like, uh, kind of like David Lynchian in a way in, in the, in some of the characters. I've got some really unusual characters in it, but it's, uh, kind of a neo noir feel to it. It's set in modern times and I'm going to play the role of the homeless man. And, uh, we're approaching some different actors right now to, to be stars. I'm not, a big enough name to generate, uh, um, you know, 
all the investment that we need, so we're trying to get some big names involved. But it's uh, the biggest thing that I'm, I'm the thing that I'm most excited about because it's my own project, and I'm not going to direct it. I'm just I'm just the writer. I'll produce it and uh, and star in it, and hopefully we're going to do it in uh, sometime in the spring. But awesome. um, yeah, I've got some some cool stuff coming up, and I'm writing another couple other screenplays and. I'm really kind of, you know, after I had that experience of writing my script when I was in Toronto, I really, it basically reminded me that I really love act, or love writing just as much as I love uh, acting. And I really was kind of letting that sit for too long, and I really need to embrace that more. So it was really, really kind of a wake-up call for me to realize that that's really what I want to start doing more. And, and not only because I love to write, but it also is hopefully going to create more work for myself because... Of course, I'm going to cast myself in every movie that I write mm-hmm. if I can. So it's oh, just kind you. of a self-propelling thing that way. Yeah, it's a lot easier to memorize your lines when you write them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would think so. That probably helps. Yeah, I definitely know all the motivations ahead of time. Right. <laughs> well, you know that we're a huge fan of yours, and whatever you do, we're going to follow you to the ends of the earth. And um, we are honored that you came on our little podcast. Uh, you, you, yeah. you by far have – this This is our third episode in season eight, and I'll be honest with you, I've been wavering about continuing this show, but that you came on has given me a burst of creativity, and I thank you for that too. And, I, um, oh, well, absolutely. I had fun. I appreciate you guys having an interest in, in anything I'm doing. It's I have fun talking about it. So I, I when I first started this show eight years ago, I made a list of people that I wanted to eventually interview. I got my first two on the list, which one, by the way, is a makeup artist, Jennifer Aspinall, who is the makeup artist on Toxic Avenger and Street Trash, and then Sarah Trost, huh? who now I'm actually friends with and uh, produced her brother's, two of her brother's movies. <laughs> um, so, okay. you know, wow. but you were on that list too, because I knew I'd never get Matt and Trey on the show, but I was like, you know, Dion. <laughs> Dan, I might be able to get someday. And sure <laughs> yeah, you are. Well, I'm glad so, you invited me. Thank you thank so you. much. Well, yeah, it. it was cool. I appreciate it. So good it. having you here. And, yeah, uh, you, know, and so you were on, you know, maybe, well, I was going to say, maybe when, uh, when I do have the other films coming out and I can talk more about them, I can come back again. Please. Yeah, and it's definitely, definitely your own project because we are, we always promote our friends' stuff, always. So uh, you know, we're always we we are we are we are love of horror and indie films before mainstream. So please come back when you have more info on your own show, especially if it has an Edgar Allan Poe connection, because that'll just keep us out. Yes. So, yes. Um, yeah, so, I'm a uh, huge fan of Edgar Allan Poe. So yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm outside you know, Baltimore. Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar, yeah, then his house. Actually, I went on this whole like trip. Where I went like on a tour, I, I love. I'm kind of obsessed with him, and he, you know, I don't know if you know, he's he's the reason why murder mysteries were written. He he wrote the very first murder yeah. mystery, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I named my movie The Stylus, kind of in an homage to what he wanted to be his very. He wanted to make a magazine called The Stylus, and it was going to be an editorial collection of some of his favorite writers, and um, and critiques of essays and essays and. It never came to fruition, unfortunately. He passed away before that could happen, but it was a dream project of his. So in naming my film The Stylus, it actually plays um, as a theme within the story, too, but it's uh, kind of like my little nod to him because I love him. 
Do you have a theory on how he died? The one that I've heard bandied about is that uh, a press gang got him to make him vote. Yeah, you know, I think. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that that might be the most reasonable Mm. um, answer for it, just because the fact that he was found in clothes that weren't his, and uh, that was a common thing, and he was easily influenced by alcohol and was kind of probably abused by some people ultimately, and they kind of just dragged him around. I think that it's a reasonable assumption, but. My film actually gives you a new reason. It gives you actually a different. Wait. I have a new a new answer for why he died. So, nice. Uh, uh, when when you wrote the the role of the detective, did you have any one actor particular in mind when you were writing it? Yeah, you know who I actually initially pictured was James Remar. I uh, I really love that actor. He Interesting. Was in, um, yeah, he's a, he's a really cool dude, actually. He's a little too old now to play the part, but he was who I was visually kind of picturing initially to do it. But um, yeah, there's a different, there's a few different actors that I'm thinking about. Actually, I'm actually possibly doing a movie with John Cusack soon, and I was oh. actually thinking about approaching John Cusack to play the role of the detective too. But I don't know. Oh. I've got a, I've got a few different names of people that we're we're approaching for it. And oh, yeah, so exciting. as soon as I know more, I'll definitely let you guys know about it. Oh, please, please. do so. Raven is just a, a Facebook page away. And uh, mm-hmm. thank you again for being on the show. And, uh, you know, and if you don't, you see that we're having a live, you can call in at any time because, you know, we're, we're a live <laughs> call in show. We're, we're a bit old school. So we like, we, okay. we kind of keep it that way. So, and um, That's cool. this is. This is the year of folk horror, so if you like that kind of stuff, call in too, because we're going to talk a lot about that this year. So, oh, that's <laughs> anyway. awesome. Right on. Yeah. So thank you, sir. And um, we're going to go for the night, unfortunately. Um, but um, okay. um, do you like Ghost, the, the band, by any chance? Do you like them? You said or like Ghost? You... Yeah. Like unfortunately, ghosts. I don't know who they are, so I don't know. Ah, I might love them. Well, if I heard them, just... I don't know. They, they're like if, if you know what Trans Siberian Express is, right? I've heard that name, but I'm not. Yeah, familiar. they're like they're like a, a big Christmas uh, spectacular lasers and stuff like that. Now imagine that you put on Satan. goth uh, goth clothes and mm-hmm. have them sing about sex and Satan, and that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that so, sounds amazing. Uh, I think I'd probably yeah. love it. Yeah. Oh, it's super rehearsed. They even do like 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 when they when they tour here, they do the Hippodrome, which is like our theater. You know, <laughs> you know. Oh, okay. Book of Mormon. Cool. I saw the Book of Mormon at the Hippodrome. Believe it or not. Oh, did well, you oh, ever? Well, as I go out, did you ever believe that Cannibal the Musical? And I'll tell you honestly, when I saw um, Bigger, Longer, Uncut, I knew he was going to win a Tony. That Trey was going to win hmm. a Tony. Yeah, you know, we always thought that he was truly gifted. I mean, if you really, li- I mean, the music in Cannibal the Musical is fantastic. It's really yeah, great it's, music, and I think that, I think it was very obvious back then that the guy was going to advance if he wanted to keep doing music. It was going to be something continuous, continually incredible. And you know, the thing is, with the Book of Mormon, it took about seven years for that movie or for that play to come to fruition. Matt actually told me that there were several times when they almost just walked away from it because it was just such a crazy endeavor, but they stuck with it. It mm-hmm. took seven years. So I, that's another thing I want people to be inspired by and realize that 
Things can take so much longer than you might expect. And if you really believe mm. in it and you love it, stick with it because the end result might might be amazing. Well, we wow. believe in you. Mm. And Ghost just dropped a new right. album. So we're going to play out tonight with their new single. And uh, thank you again for being on the show. This is The Sexy Witches. And you've been talking with Dion Bahar and uh, Nathan, Raven, Aaron, and myself. And we will be back on the show maybe in a week. Dion, maybe, Dion, we might be talking about Nightmare Alley winning a bunch of Oscars. So fingers crossed on yeah, that. Yeah, you never know. Fingers and, crossed. And, um, and so we'll be back on the 30th with a short but nice recap. Um, and I believe Raven's got the guest for that one, too. <laughs> we're bringing back a, okay. a, a <laughs> earlier guest to recap. And um, we're going to go. So good night, everyone. Have a wonderful uh, day. And uh, blessed be. Good film hunting. And we'll see you after the Oscars. So thank you. And good night now, everyone. <laughs> good night. Yeah.
Say, when do we leave? Sooner the better, I'd say. Well, let's ask our new guide. Mr. Packer? I guess I'm ready whenever you guys are. Well, then let's get packing. What? Long, long way for us to go. But if we don't try, we'll never know. Stay optimistic, set our goals high. There's nothing we can't do if we aim for the How long is it going to take? Oh, not, not more than like three weeks at the most. All right, let's go.